We're in Romans 12 today, if you've got a Bible with you and want to turn there, that's where I'm going to be speaking from. Uh, we're just in a short, pass, uh, short series where we're looking at our life together, what church culture, um, what we're building here, discovering what Life Church Beckles um, is all about. And today we're focusing on this aspect of our big aim, which is to make disciples of Jesus who love God with worship and service. That's where we're going to be today, and at the end of uh, this morning, I hope to give a little update on where we're up to in the process of appointing deacons as well. Um, I don't know how you feel about when it, when it comes to serving at the moment, but often we ask, have these questions, don't we? How do we think well about serving? Why should I serve? What's my motivation to be? Um, how should I serve? What about my attitude and how I do it. What should I do to serve in church life? Do I need to serve more or do I need to serve less? And the reason I've chosen um, Romans 12 uh, this morning is because I think it helps us answer the very foundation of serving, which is to help us think rightly about serving and then all those other questions will be answered uh, for us. And I think this passage will help guard us against dead works, a kind of situation where we worship and honour and serve someone or something else other than God. Um, It's no longer really an act of worship in that sense, but something actually fairly ugly. We want to, when we think well about our service and worship of God, that helps us to answer some of those questions that I mentioned a minute ago. So we're in Romans 12, starting at verse 1. Uh, all the way to 8. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So what are some of the ways in which we can think well about our serving and therefore serve well? And worship and love, well, love God with our worship and service as disciples of Jesus. And this is where we're going to start is um, right serving is aware of God's mercy. It says in verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So if you know well the, the book of Romans, what Paul's been doing for 11 chapters of Romans densely argued, really tightly argued, 
this wonderful 11 chapters of theology of God's mercy. That's Paul's summary. In view of God's mercy, I, everything I've been saying for 11 chapters of really difficult to get to grips with theology, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's um, glorious salvation, in, in view of his sovereignty over all creation, his, God's grace and kindness towards us in Christ, in view of the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith, in view of faith as this wonderful gift from God, not something we've earned, but something he's graciously given to us, in view of the fact that we're justified before God, no longer condemned, but have the pleasure of the Father, that we're graciously forgiven by God, that we're at peace with God, that we're dead to sin, but alive to God, that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're free, that we're heirs with Christ, all that he is and all that he has, that we have a future hope and glory in heaven, that we have a redemptive happy ending like we saw in the book of Ruth, that we can't be separated from God and his love for us, that we've been grafted into the family of God. After 11 chapters of all of that, then in view of God's mercy, in view of the 11 chapters, this apex of theology, if you will, with, that's full of passion, that's, um, that's got this kind of, these pauses of worship where Paul's just like, just has to burst out in worship because it's just such wonderful. After this apex of theology, in view of God's mercy, Paul says, therefore, serve. That's, that's, he's, he's reached a really critical point in this letter to the church in Rome. In view of God's mercy, these 11 chapters of wonderful theology of the grace and mercy of God, therefore, serve, being aware of God's mercy. Uh, Jess, for a while, lived in um, South Africa in Cape Town, and um, in Cape Town, uh, they've got Table Mountain, haven't they? It's just wonderful, beautiful mountain in the city. And if you live in uh, Cape Town, you're always aware of Table Mountain. It's always there. It's always in your mind in some way or another. You have to account for it on journeys. <laughs> I can't just go straight through it. I've got to kind of factor it in and go around it. Um, it affects where the sun will be and where the shade will be in different times of the day. You kind of factor that in. You take it into consideration. It's part of the fabric of life. And so Paul is saying exactly the same thing about God's mercy, about these 11 chapters he's just written. He's saying... Make them part of the fabric of your life. Take them into consideration at all times. Always have it in mind, the mercy of God towards you. And then he says, this is your true and proper worship. Or if you've got an ESV Bible like me, it'll say spiritual worship. And then if you look in the footnotes, it says also rational service. Rational service. It sounds different, but there's both meanings there in the term, in that it's true and proper, rational, right response to the mercy of God is to serve. This is how Jesus served as well, isn't it? Jesus served us by making a rational decision, a rational response to the mercy of God towards us. And it says in Mark 10.45, doesn't it, that he came to serve, not to be served. Or in Philippians 2, it says that he didn't account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death 
on a cross, or in Hebrews 12 too, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus served us in this way. He had in view God's mercy, and therefore he served us with his life, which we're going to come and celebrate at the end, aren't we? By eating the bread and drinking the wine, having in view God's mercy towards us, and the fact that Jesus has served us in light of it. So that's the first thing. Right serving is aware of God's mercy. I think that's the, the foundation. And then the second thing is, right serving is transformed, not conformed. So verse 2, it says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't, don't serve out of a self-centered, preference-based decision, not out of self-preservation, not for selfish reasons. Don't serve out of guilt, because you feel like you have to. We don't serve out of fear. If I don't serve, then what will happen? Or We don't serve out of a sense of achievement. I want to achieve something. We don't serve because we're under pressure. We don't serve because we're presumed upon. We don't serve in order to meet other people's expectations. We don't serve kind of like running on a treadmill that you feel like you can't get off. You ever had that moment where you feel like you're just doing something on a treadmill, you're a bit stuck on it, you have to do it, and you can't really get off it. He says, not like that, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, i.e. the way you think about surfing. Uh, be in view of, uh, have in view God's mercy. Serve like Jesus served you. Think this way. Serve like that. Uh, last night I was playing snooker uh, with a friend, and... Um, I'm learning from other people's comments about my snooker that what's very important is how you get down on a shot. Um, I don't know if you ever watch snooker, but sometimes you'll see a snooker player get down, won't you, for a shot, and they're about to hit it, and then they go, bit of chalking of the cue, you think, what's going on here? Down on the shot, and he gets up again, you think, come on, get on with it. Um, But what they're doing is the positioning and posture, apparently, I'm not doing it right, so don't don't copy this when you play snooker, but it's really important. The way that you've got your feet set, the way that you're kind of you're positioning, your kind of eye level, the way that you reach on the table. And uh, often I'll just kind of like slump on the table and get down and then, oh, that wasn't a very good shot. No, you should probably take a bit more time about the way that you set yourself, the position that you got yourself into. And it's a bit like that with our serving. Our posture and approach to it kind of determines the accuracy of the shot, as it were, into what our serving looks like. So the key question isn't really, should I serve more or should I serve less or even what should I do? But it's really, am I thinking rightly about serving? Not burdened with a sense of, I should do more. It's not Paul's intention in the letter. It's not my intention by talking about it. But to think rightly about our serving. And then the answers to all the other questions of what you serve in, when you serve in it, how often, is it more or is it less, are answered from the right place and posture. And as it were, you take an accurate shot. So how are you getting down to play your snooker shot, as it were? How are you thinking? What's your foundational posture and position like when it comes to thinking about serving? Are you aware of God's mercy towards you, being transformed in your mind by how he has served you, because that's absolutely foundational. Uh, The third thing is, right serving is voluntary. Because right serving is a 
rational response. It's a decision made in view of God's mercy in response to God's mercy. It says, offer, doesn't it? Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer. You offer it voluntarily. You don't serve because you've been cajoled into it, pressured, coerced. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was speaking on this passage, told a story of a person who was walking their dog, new dog walker, not used to dogs, taking it on a walk. Uh, a bit nervous about letting it off the lead because wasn't sure this dog would come back to its owner. Um, but was encouraged, no, you can, you can let it off, the dog will come back. So dog walker takes the lead off, lets the dog run free, and it shoots off into the brush. Okay. That's what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> Decides to carry on walking. And after a while, the dog voluntarily comes and follows the dog walker for the rest of its walks. And in that respect, that's kind of the picture of what serving is like. We, serve, we offer ourselves to God. We love him freely as he's loved us. We kind of come alongside and serve in the thing that we feel he's leading us into, not conjoled and pressured, but freely offering ourselves. We have a choice to make. We choose to offer ourselves voluntarily, not under compulsion. In fact, Peter uses that same principle when he writes to others who are elders in churches. He says, uh, elders shepherd the flock of God that's amongst you, not under compulsion, but willingly. Right servings, continuously costly. So in verse 1, it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. By bodies, it means your whole self. Um, the late Tim Keller said, your body is how your soul acts in this world. And sacrifice means killing, doesn't it? When Abraham got told to sacrifice Isaac, he understood God to be saying, kill him. So what the passage is really saying is, be a living killing, i.e. the kind of sacrifice that can crawl off the altar. It's a funny picture, isn't it? Bit of a grim one. Be a living killing. Crawl off the altar. So right serving is a series of continuous choices, isn't it? It's not kind of a decision you make over here and then you're doomed to that choice for the rest of your life. It's a series of continuous decisions to serve. Counting the cost of serving. Killing the fleshly desire not to serve or to selfishness or to be doing what you prefer. Just as an illustration, sometimes Jess will say, I love you. I heard, maybe she said it once. <laughs> I love you, and I choose to love you. There's two different ideas when it comes to love in our culture, isn't there? There's this idea that you get zapped with this undeniable love for the person. If you're a Christian, God zapped you with undeniable love for your spouse, and then you've kind of had to love them for the rest of your life. You've been with put with your destined partner which I think to me sounds a little bit passive because they're not very active in it um, sounds a little bit unromantic and a bit like your Cupid's victim, wasn't it? <laughs> you didn't really have a choice about it, you just wrapped and you had to love them or you choose to love the person, your spouse to cherish them, to forsake all others to be faithful as long as you both shall live, to pursue intimacy with one another to pursue oneness and unity and make an active decision of love, which sounds to me to be more active, more romantic, and less likely the victim 
um, of Cupid. Because that's the kind of love that God has had for us, isn't it? The Father and the Son, in eternity past, at some point, had a conversation that made a decision between themselves to enter into our world in human likeness, for Jesus to become, take the form of a servant and to die for us on the cross. Sometimes people tell that story a little bit like it was God's, God's nature is love and therefore he had no choice about it and the son had to come. Jesus had to enter into the world and die for us on the cross and to do that. But no, that's not how the story is told. The father and son counted the cost. Jesus is now seated in heaven as a living sacrifice for us. So our true and proper worship, our honour to God is to continuously count the cost, decide to serve in view of God's mercy towards us in Jesus. Uh, the thing is this, right, serving is humble. It says in verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Says something similar in Philippians 2, doesn't it? Count others more significant than yourselves. Look to the interests of others. Have Jesus' mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is think of more of others when you serve. Think less of yourself. So think rightly with sober judgment, humbly about yourself, aware of the faith that's been given to you. So, for example, when I approach Jess and I'm going to have a conversation with her about something perhaps where there's difference in opinion or practice in home life, um, it's a good idea for me to approach that conversation in view of the many times in which she has shown me mercy and forgiven me of the things of which I have done. That helps me come to her in the conversation with a sense of humility in that this is just one of the few times I've had to come to her instead of the many times that she may have had to come to me. And so it is with God's mercy, it humbles us as we approach it. And one of the biggest pastoral challenges can be when we don't understand ourselves particularly well. Either we think we're more gifted and capable and experienced than we are, or the opposite, we're gifted and capable, but totally unaware and blissfully unaware of it. Well, the other issue is where we think we should be serving in something we shouldn't be. Either we think we should be serving in something, but that's not our function or role in church life, or hyper-democratic perspective where everyone's function is the same. And the result is that people feel they should be in the know when they've been left out of something or excluded from a function Uh, that they perceive as theirs. And Paul writes in verse 4, he says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members don't have all the same function. So being aware of God's mercy helps bring a humility which helps us to know ourselves with a healthy perspective, helps us to uh, know our gifts, know the measure of faith given to us and the functional role when serving And sometimes when we're serving, we can be wary of people taking advantage of us. Particularly if you're doing this well, you've got in in mind God's mercy. You've got Romans 1 to 11 nailed in your heart and mind, and you have this wonderful grasp of it. It's possible for people to take advantage of you, to feel underappreciated, to... 
yeah, would be wary of taking uh, advantage of. Um, but this will happen when you serve. People will take advantage of you. You will at some point be underappreciated, under thanked, and feel like it's a bit of bit gritty. That will happen. And the humility that comes from having the view of God's mercy. Who could have taken that attitude from the off, couldn't he? You know, the father and the son are counting the cost. What, for this lot? The way they've treated us. The way they lived their lives. And we're going to do this? Well, I doubt that was ever the conversation between them. Because God is merciful. And it says in the Bible, doesn't it? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble serving draws the grace of God and leads to good fruit. Final couple. Uh, Right serving is varied. Right serving is varied. In verse 6 it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Prophesying, serving, teaching, to encourage, giving, to lead, and to show. Mercy, it's not an exhaustive list of gifts. There are others in 1 Corinthians Uh, This is a variety of some, but humility helps us to draw out the variety of gifting amongst us as well. Because the best way to identify our gifts is with sober judgment. Having a willingness to serve and close friends who can help you identify your gifts. um, Acknowledge and confirm them rather than self-identifying. We can probably all think of times when somebody has thought they were really good at something and they needed a close friend to correct them before they wander into lots of trouble. I think I've told you the story. I was in Uganda serving, and one of our team members um, felt she had a gift of leading people in worship. (laughs) Nobody told her, (laughs) and it was painful every morning uh, because nobody would say anything about it. It was, you know, if you'd be our friends, it was like that. And I'm not joking, it was difficult to sing along because she couldn't keep a melody or a beat or anything. And nobody would tell her. Now, it's not being horrible to her, it's just not very kind to her, is it? And so we need friends around us, don't we? It's also the same when somebody isn't aware they're good at something, they're gifted for it. And you need close friends around them to go, no, come on, you can do this. This is something you're gifted for. Step out in it and praying for them and encouraging them in it. And we've also got varied personalities, haven't we? Whether you're a morning bird or a night owl or an internal or external processor and all these things all factor in when you're thinking about serving rightly. (coughs) Jess and I have some rules that we sometimes follow (laughs) about when we're allowed to talk about the diary. And uh, if it's past 9pm, conversation's not happening. I'm a night owl, so that is serious restraint. Because at 9pm, my mind is waking up to everything that's going to happen in the next few days. And I'm thinking about how things could happen. And Jess is shutting down. And so, that's part of our serving, isn't it? It's being aware of ourselves humbly and knowing what we're good at and what works. Uh, Final thing. Is this right serving is cheerful? It says verse, act, verse 8 acts of mercy cheerfully. The greatest act of mercy towards us was done for joy. That's what Hebrews says. For the joy that was set before him, 
Jesus endured the cross. Right serving is done cheerfully. But it's easy when you're serving to become discouraged, isn't it? Really easy to get discouraged. Let's imagine you've got a gift of encouragement. If somebody knocks back your encouragement or dismisses it or makes a cynical comment when you encourage them, that's difficult to handle, isn't it? That's easy to become discouraged when people respond to your gift of encouragement in that way. Or another one, if you've got the gift of prophecy, but nobody ever responds to the prophetic word, no matter how accurate it is, they never give you any feedback and say, by the way, that word really spoke to me. Or if um, people don't show gratitude for you stepping out, even though it costs you quite a lot to come and bring the prophetic word, that can be quite discouraging. If you've got the gift of helps, of serving others, people tell you they can sort it, no thanks, and you watch people struggle without accepting your help. It can be discouraging, can't it? We've all got gifts and can be discouraged when others don't receive them and we're bringing them to to them. Uh, Mike Bear says this, we need to resist discouragement like we resist spiritual attack. We need to resist discouragement like we resist spiritual attack, like we resist temptation or the most evil force coming against us. Because how we serve really matters. To take it seriously, resist discouragement and not serve because of people's gratitude, people's receptivity to us or other people's needs, but serve out response to God's mercy. And the reason that is is because people's gratitude, their receptivity... And their needs always change. But the mercy of God is everlasting. Lamentation says, doesn't it, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And so have in view God's mercy. So I hope that's helpful. Right thinking leads to right serving. When we think well about the mercy of God, it helps position us well for serving.